So this weekend, we're going to talk small. This is the third installment of a series that we're calling The High Cost of Living. And this weekend, we're going to talk about some of the small strategic changes that God might have us make as we take this journey towards wholeness and peace. The cost of gasoline has been a hot topic over the last couple of months. It seemed like over the summer when we experienced that big bubble and we were paying like four fifty dollars a gallon, it seemed like the higher the prices went, more pe- the more people would freak out. I would sit in my, in my car at Costco because it was the cheapest place I could find and I would gather sermon illustrations watching you fill up your car. I watched a guy at Costco fill up his pump and he's watching the pump and I'm watching him and he's becoming more and more agitated because he's watching the numbers and finally he can't control himself anymore and he goes, stop! (laughs) Do you remember that? Like 60 bucks, 62, 65. It's like, ah! I watched a guy at the Safeway in Linden punch the pump. (laughs) He just got ticked and bam! I don't think it hurt the pump but it seemed to make him feel a whole lot better. You know, when the price of something goes up, we begin to look for these small strategic ways to make it count more, to make it stretch. Why is it that we do that? I believe we do it because we suddenly see something that we took for granted and we realize that it is so much more valuable. Suddenly, there's a higher cost to pay. So we want to get everything we can out of it, no matter how small the changes are that need to be made. During that, that, that crazy fuel summer, uh, a number of companies tried to make a bunch of small changes in order to save money. American Airlines saved $4 million by having their planes taxi with just one engine instead of two. Southwest Airlines slowed down their flights by just one to three minutes and in just one chunk of the year saved $42 million dollars. Conway Freight slowed down their trucks by just three miles an hour, and they saved, just in the last quarter, $13.3 million. Small changes can make huge differences if they're the right change. Now, that goes against everything that we believe in our culture, because we believe that bigger is better. Now, I'm going to tell you, bigger is not bad. Bigger is just bigger. But in our world, we like to supersize everything. I mean, as guys, the man with the biggest truck has the biggest status symbol, right? We've completely bought into this myth that that, that as long as it's huge, as long as it's big, that that somehow is better. And in doing that, what we've lost is a strategic understanding that sometimes it's the small changes that make so much difference. My family and I went on a little vacation before, uh, right after Christmas, We picked up some library books uh, because we love to read while we're gone, and I flipped open one of the books that I got, and inside of it was this piece of paper. It had been used as a bookmark, and I just grabbed it, hadn't really thought about it until a couple of days ago when I found it, because I'd stuck it in, in another piece of literature that came home with me. Inside of that book, I found somebody's resolutions for 2008. I'm going to read these to you. There were five of them. Everybody's going, oh, that wasn't me, right? Okay. Goal number one, lose 40 pounds. Goal number two, read everything written by Solzhenitsyn. Number three, learn Windows Vista. (laughs) 
I'm not touching that one with a 10-foot pole, all right? Number four, run a marathon. And number five, dump Dan. <laughs> Dan, if you're here, um, <laughs> we love you and... There will be people to pray with after the service, and we're just glad you're still here. All right? Um, I mean, I looked at that little list. I think those are some big goals. Those are some huge goals. And at the end of what we talk about this morning, I want us to understand, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with dreaming big. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with having huge goals. I'm just saying that even the biggest change in our life has to start small. If you're going to lose 40 pounds, you've got to lose one first. If you're going to read all of Souls and Eatson's library, you've got to start with one sentence in one book. If you're going to learn Vista, you need to do one keystroke. <laughs> Not touching it. If you're going to run a marathon, you've got to get through mile one first. And if you're going to dump Dan, you need to sit down face to face and have a soul-searching conversation between two human beings. You don't text, you don't phone, you don't email. Did you get that? I'll review them if we need to, all right? It starts with a small strategic decision. This morning we're going to go small. We're actually going to go to the minor prophets. Your Bible contains two groups of prophetic books where a prophet is telling a group of people how to get back in line with God's program in order to find his blessing. The two groups of books are called the major and the minor prophets. And when you hear major and minor, don't think important and less important. Don't think varsity and junior varsity, okay? The only thing that separates the minor prophets from the major prophets is that the minor prophets are just shorter, okay? So think of them as kind of a Reader's Digest condensed book. That's really what they are. Before we actually dive into the scripture, I need to introduce you to a couple of new friends who we're going to walk with over the next couple of minutes. The first friend is a man by the name of Zechariah. He was a prophet of God. He lived around 520 BC. And his task was to call God's people to build a temple in the face of great discouragement and, and just unbelievable opposition. Zechariah is the guy who wrote the book. Second friend is a guy named Zerubbabel, all right? Don't name your kid that. I mean, they'll be in therapy for the rest of their life, okay? But Zerubbabel is a guy, and this is the guy who was given the task of leading the temple construction. So he's a blue-collar guy, knows how to work with his hands. He's just a regular, ordinary guy who's been given a huge task. The Bible written, or sorry, the book written by the prophet Zechariah is an amazing book, a little confusing. It's filled with imagery and something we call typology, um, it uses the word oil in the book of Zechariah. And if you list it out, there's like 21 different meanings that go along with oil that's flowing out of this lampstand and into this bowl and all of these different things. It can be very, very confusing. But in the middle of this amazing book, we find a little human moment that's all about the high cost of living. Zechariah chapter 4, the Bible says this. So he said to me, so that's Zechariah the prophet. So he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. What are you, O mighty mountain? 
Before Zerubbabel, you will become level ground. Then he will bring out the capstone to shouts of, God bless it, God bless it. Then the word of the Lord came to me. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands will also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. Who despises the day of small things? Men will rejoice when they see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel has a huge task. Build a house for God. The task is all-consuming, and he's going to pay an incredibly high price in order to get that task done, and you're just like him this morning. You have been asked to build a life for God, and the task is unbelievably all-consuming, and you're going to pay an extremely high price to get it done. And Before the construction even starts, we find the message of God to all those who are attempting to pay this thing that we're calling the high cost of living. Before a stone gets put in the ground, this is what the prophet says. He starts with this truth. You can't do this on your own power. He uses the phrase, not by might. That little word might in Hebrew, it means the power of one person. He's communicating. You can't do this through you. You haven't got the personal strength, the will, or the fortitude to take on the task, the mission that God has laid out in your life. You cannot do this by yourself. Then he goes another step and he teaches, you can't do this with corporate power. He uses the phrase, not by might, nor by power. That word power has this picture behind it. You can't summon an army of the most strategic, strong people. You can't get them all together and accomplish this task because it's just not going to get done. He says, you can't do it alone. He says, this task is so big, you can't even do it in a group. It's just too huge. So some of you are sitting here going, okay, well, if Zerubbabel's like me, and his task was to build the temple, my task is to build this great life. He just told me, I can't do it alone, and I can't do it in a group. How in the world am I supposed to get it done? He teaches, you can only do this with God's power. He says, it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. He says, there's only one way to transform your life, and that comes by utilizing the power of the God that gave you your life. I just used the words and I lied to you because I said, it's your life. Can we clarify that? It's not your life. You didn't decide whether or not you got to breathe just now. God decided whether he was going to give you that breath and you are a simple steward of all of the energy, passion, and life that he has put inside of you. The only way you can accomplish what God has for you is to live by his strength because you can't do it alone and you can't do it in a group. It can only come from Him. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. And then comes the big question. I love this question. The question says, what are you, O mighty mountain? Before blank, you will become like level ground. Here's my goal this morning. My goal is by the end of this morning that you're able to put your name in that blank. Let's take Zerubbabel's name out of it and you're going to have to decide whether or not you can put your name in that blank. Some of us look at the challenge of living a godly, transformed, and whole life, and all we see is the enormity of the task. It's like a mountain blocking our way. Zerubbabel felt the same way. He had huge opposition. 
that came in between him and the task that God had for him. He had problems with people and antagonists and building permits and apathy. He just had trouble everywhere he turned. So many things were going on. And then the prophet steps up and says, Zerubbabel, this is what I want you to do. I want you to talk to the mountain. And I want you to ask a question. Here's the best translation that I can come up with out of my limited knowledge of this ancient language. Hey, mountain, who do you think you are? I love the fact that he gets permission to talk to the mountain. He gets to talk to the mountain because the God that is standing behind him in the task is bigger than the mountain of opposition that's standing in front of him in the task. Sometimes we're given something by God and we're told to do it and we get caught up in all of this, this opposition and the naysayers and the people that say you can't do that and, and that you're never going to amount to anything. We see this huge mountain in front of us and our response is, well, it really is a big mountain. And I don't think I can go over it because I got little bitty feet. <laughs> and I certainly can't go around it because it's just so big and, and I just don't want to dig through it. So I'm just going to camp out here in the shade of the mountain and wait. <laughs> My friends, God wants us to focus on the enormity of Him, not the enormity of the mountain of opposition. Your God is bigger. Because my God is so big, I can stand up to the opposition that comes against me and I can ask that mountain a question. Just exactly who do you think you are? Getting between me and the destiny that God has created in my life. I think God wants God's people to start talking to the mountains that are available right here in Whatcom County. I think we need to start talking to the mountain of, div of divorce and start saying, the way God does marriage is better than you, so the mountain of divorce, it needs to move and get out of the way. I believe that the mountain of addiction that grabs so many people in this county needs to be spoken to by God's people under the authority of the name of Jesus. We need to speak to the mountain of addiction and say, you need to move. Because my Bible tells me that any mountain that comes in the presence of Jesus melts like wax and becomes like fat, flat ground. I believe that as God's people, we need to speak to the mountain of pornography that's stealing marriages and ripping off men all over this county. We need to speak to it and say, we will no longer stand for that kind of garbage in our community. We're going to come against it with what real love and real intimacy looks like. I think it's time for the people of Christ the King to begin to speak to the mountains of apathy, the mountains of past failures, the mountains of broken promises, the mountains of failed attempts, the mountains of your old lifestyle, your past, to the mountain of sin and speak to it directly and say, just exactly who do you think you are standing in my way? That's what I believe we are called to do. You see, I have a mountain. I've told you about it before. I have a mountain of fear that seems to follow me everywhere I go. This week, I was speaking to it, saying, I brought Jesus with me. He is bigger than you and stronger than you. 
and more filled with truth than you. And he doesn't lie. He doesn't shift. He doesn't move. So I don't care how big you appear. It's time for you to go. That's what all of us have the authority to do. Why would we not do that when we understand the Bible teaches that the end result of one who's willing to pay the high cost of obedience is the fact that the job gets done? Look at verses 8 and 9. Then the word of the Lord came to me. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple, and his hands will also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. There's a New Testament parallel to what's being taught in this beautiful old book. It comes from the book of Philippians that says this, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. God started something in you and he will finish something in you. That leads us to a very simple biblical principle that I think a lot of believers have forgotten. It's godly to finish what you start. It's godly to finish what you start. We have just just fewer than 400 people going through 12 steps of spiritual journey. I want to talk to the 12 steppers here this morning. You've been given a list of about 55 reasons why you're not coming back tonight by the enemy. Ask him who he thinks he is to stand in your way of standing in the presence of God the way you've always dreamed of being able to stand. Don't buy the lie. Finish what you started. Finish what you started. You can't do it on your own. You can't even do it in a group. But by His Spirit, the Bible promises it will be completed. So some of you look at that and you go, that's awesome. Okay, good. Thank you. Appreciate it. What's next? Well, that was just intro, so I'm going to answer that question, all right? Don't be afraid. We'll be done. How do you get started? I believe this scripture gives us two amazing pieces of wisdom. Piece number one is this. You start small. You start small. The prophet asked this incredible question. I love this question. Who despises the day of small things? Another translation says, don't despise the day of small beginnings. My translation goes something like this. You have to start somewhere, so start small. I've been thinking a lot about this this past week, and as I looked at at what the Bible has to say, I realized something. Did you know that sin always starts small? It starts with one lie. One lie that leads to another lie that leads to another lie. It starts with one compromise. One little moment of weakness when you just decide that you're going to take the easy way out instead of God's way. One little unchecked thought that you allow to come into your mind and it just runs around in the back of your brain and it just keeps going and bumping into the other things that you have happening. And before you know it, you're just completely wrapped up in ungodly thoughts and you wonder, how in the world did I get here? One little entitlement. One little thing where where you just say, you know what, look at all of this good stuff that I'm doing for God over here. I'm allowed to, to do this sin because I'm just trying to balance the scales a little bit. 
Sin starts with one choice, to do nothing when you know exactly what it is that God has called you to do. It starts small, but over a period of days and weeks and months, it begins to grow, and it can grow into utter, complete devastation if it's left unchecked. You know, sin starts small, but godliness starts small too. Godliness starts with one truth. I know one truth for sure. Jesus loves me. This I know because my Bible tells me so. It's one small truth. I made one little commitment many, many years ago as an eight-year-old kid behind Linden Lane's elementary school. I didn't start living for Jesus till I was about 18, but it started with that little commitment. A little commitment that was about as simple as this. I knew I was a sinner and sinners need saviors. And Jesus was one. One verse, one prayer, one relationship. You know, I have one ever-present truth in my life. Scripture says, while I was still a sinner, Jesus died for me. That's a truth that has changed my life. I've made one commitment to follow Jesus with every ounce of my being. I have one phrase of Scripture that motivates me every single day. You were bought with a price. Jesus paid an extremely high price to live and die and then live again so that I could understand what salvation was. I've got one prayer every morning. Jesus, just help me make this day count for you. And I have one primary relationship that seems to influence all of the others because I've discovered something. When I am following Jesus with everything, with my heart, soul, mind, and strength, I've discovered that I become a pretty okay dad, husband, and friend by default. It just all works together. If you're going to start somewhere this morning, would you start with this basic truth? Jesus loves you. This I know. Because your Bible tells you so. So you start small. Second little piece of wisdom we find in here is that you start in obedience. That last little verse there, it just kind of frustrates kind of fuzzy, right? It says, men will rejoice when they see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. So let's talk about that for a second. So one day, Zerubbabel goes out and he grabs himself a plumb line and he starts thinking, okay, well, I'm going to square off to here. I'm going to square off to there. I'm going to run a 90 degree angle. That means that the cornerstone of the church is going to go right there. All right, somebody get me a rock. And off he goes. Now, there would have been some people, Scripture tells us, that came out and just started shouting, God bless it, this is awesome. You know why? It's because for years they'd been waiting for somebody to do something. And finally, somebody is actually going to start. Now, they're going to start small, but at least he's starting, right? He actually got, got the line out and started throwing, you know, this line this way and this line this way, and we're going to start it right here. But we have to know something. I mean, let's get real. For every guy that's standing there going, God bless you, God bless you, there's a whole bunch of people standing off to the corner going, what in the world is that idiot up to? What is he doing? I mean, in my brain, I can just hear people coming up to Zerubbabel going, what are you doing? I'm going to build a church. Why? God told me to. 
Are you sure? Not really. (laughs) But I'm going to start anyway, so go get me a rock. You know, if you look back through Scripture, you see it over and over and over again. Hey, Noah, what are you doing? I'm going to build an ark. What's an ark? I don't know. (laughs) What's it for? You wouldn't believe me if I told you. But I got to start somewhere. So here we go. Hey, David, what are you doing? I don't know. I'm going giant hunting. (laughs) Really? Uh Uh-huh. That doesn't look very smart. Yeah, I know. That's a pretty small stone, David. Yeah, I know but I've got a really big God. We just finished Christmas. Did anybody notice in the Christmas story about how God just showed up so huge, larger than life? God loves small. One small step at a time. One rock, one board, one stone. That's all God needs. That's all He needs. I need to talk to the guys here for a moment. So ladies, if you'll just indulge me for a second. Because gentlemen, we've got a bigger struggle than our sisters do in this particular area. Because everything that I've talked about this morning as a guy goes against your guy code. As guys, we don't like small things. We like big things. We kind of have a motto, go big or go home. We struggle with starting small because we like the quick fix. We like the big payoff. We don't want to start small. That just seems too small for us. Gentlemen, here's the problem. I've watched it for a long, long time. You have a problem with starting small, so your default is you just don't start anything at all. You'd rather not do anything than run the risk of failure. Gentlemen, guy to guy, I have to ask you the question. If you're going to do nothing, which are you going to pay? The high cost of living whole or the high cost of regret, because there's no middle ground. I talked with two guys this past week, both of whom are dying. Do you want to know why they wanted to talk to a pastor? Because they're trying to figure out what they're going to do with this long list of regrets. They want to talk about how brokenhearted they are because they never hugged their daughter when she was growing up. So she went and found intimacy in the arms of somebody else. They never told their little girl how beautiful she was, so she went and found somebody else to tell her how beautiful she is. 
I talked with this one guy. He says, Grant, I poured more attention into my truck than into my life and my relationship. And now he's dying alone. Guys, do we get how much is riding on this? What do you want to pay? The high price of regret or the high price of the cost of living godly? If you don't get anything else this morning, and ladies, you've just been blessed to be able to do this easier than we do. You see things in a series of small, significant decisions through your day. I don't know how my wife does it. I watch her navigate through a normal day. She starts here and ends here. It's like, how did you do that? I'm like a ping pong ball, right? It's just everywhere. No rhyme or reason. She's like, start at point A. At the end of the night, we're done. We're different in the way we look at it, but I think this last truth is important. God rejoices in what is right, not in what is big. He rejoices in what is right. This little gold ring, it's pretty small. Not very significant. Not very many people care that I wear it. This little ring represents a very small moment that has become pretty huge. This June, I will have been wearing this ring for 20 years. It started in Saskatchewan in a little town called Swift Current where a guy in a really ugly tuxedo (laughs) stood in front of a beautiful young woman with not much to offer other than we were going to follow Jesus with everything we could started with a teeny little commitment. And over 20 years, it's grown. I was sitting at home the other night, I'm just, I'm watching my wife and my kids just hang out together. I'm like, I am the richest man in Whatcom County. I have a wife who loves me. I've got kids that are safe and secure. I'm just, I'm amazed. It started with this tiny little step But I have found that what it's grown into over 20 years is still comprised of just a whole bunch of little things put along the way. Because even though it looks big, 20 years together, all that is is this little teeny set of steps. That little things like, like walking out the door in the morning and looking into my wife's eyes and saying, I love you. And knowing that when I get home, that she's going to be the first person I try to get to when I come through the door. It's the little things of coming back and saying, I'm so sorry, I was wrong. I just blew it. And I need you to forgive me. It's the little words, it's the little touches, it's the little sacrifices. You put all of those small things together, and you know what you end up with? You end up with a 20th anniversary where you have these moments by yourself where you go, where in the world did that come from? And we say we love God. We say we want Him to be the Lord and Savior of our lives. We say we want this abundant life, but for some reason, we all have these moments when we just seem to get stuck. What are we supposed to do? Start small. Start obedient. So I just got a question. What do you need to start today? What small step of faith do you need to take right now. 
I'm going to promise you something. This truth in your Bible is so small, a bunch of you are going to lose it before you get out the door today. The enemy is going to come and he's going to steal it from you. I want to encourage you, whatever that small step is that God is pressing into your heart right now, write it down. Start small and then finish what you started. It could start with just, well, let me put it this way. In order to have a vibrant prayer life, you've got to start with one prayer. One small, gut-wrenching, honest prayer to your Savior. You want to read the Bible through in two years? It starts in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God. A life of faith begins with one small commitment. I don't know what your commitment is. Honestly, it's none of my business. It's between you and Jesus. But my prayer is that you will start small, that you will obey, and that you will finish well. If that's your heart and prayer this morning, welcome to the high cost of really, really living. Would you pray with me this morning? God, in Jesus' name, I pray that as believers in Jesus, that we will take out the plumb line of your Scripture, that we will have a very honest moment, and that we will begin to do what it is that you've called us to do. God, I pray that we would have the courage of David to start with one small stone. That we wouldn't be afraid of any giant or mountain that stands in front of us because we know just how big our God is. God, I pray that we would have the passion of Noah who in the midst of a task that seemed to make no sense at all just started nailing boards together just like you told him to. God, may we be reminded it's not by might can't do it on our own. It's not by power. We can't even get an army to get this job done. The only way we're going to have this life that you've called us to have is by your Spirit. So God, I pray for the one who, whose small step is to call somebody this afternoon and ask for forgiveness. I pray for the person who needs to take the small step to go back and, and reconcile with somebody just because you asked them to. I pray for the courage for someone who really has always wanted to read the Bible, and I pray that they might go this afternoon and blow the dust off the cover, and I pray in Jesus' name that the enemy could not accuse them or use shame, but that they would hear every single word that you wrote in your love letter to them. God, would you help us to not despise the day of small beginnings, May we take this small faith step, whatever it is. God, for those in the 12-step spiritual journey, God, I pray that they would have the courage to make the small step of getting to step two. We honor them today as those who are doing the hard work of growing in you. May you walk with them every step of the way. And Lord, for those of us who have deviated from your path, 
pray that we would take the steps that we need to to go back to the place where we stepped off of the path. That we would step back on, reach for your hand, and begin to take one small step at a time. God, give us the courage to speak to the mountains in our life. May they move and melt like wax before you. We pray these things humbly, quietly as very small people who serve a very big God. We pray these things in Jesus' matchless name. Amen.